TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Welcome to It's Okay to Say Gay. I'm your host, Famie Redwood. Andy's going to join us later. Every city has its own variation of Pride festivities, but there's a couple events that most major cities do. The main Pride parade or march, depending on who you ask, parties, of course, and the Dyke March. I assumed everyone was familiar with the Dyke March, but as I found out this past weekend while having brunch with friends, that's not the case. So this episode is all about the Dyke March why it's so special, and why you should experience it, especially if you never have. We begin with my wife and I, who go every year. Because I thought I heard them down here, but they must be there. Yeah, people are looking up that way. Perfect. There were a few times a year where a sea of people take over Manhattan's Fifth Avenue. The Dyke March is one of them. For many women, non-binary people, and trans folks, nowhere offers more visibility during Pride than the Dyke March. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Uh... And for Nate Shalev, it's that plus more. So no one I know goes to the Pride Parade anymore. Like, no one. Uh, And partially it's because it doesn't feel like it's for the community. Nate is one of the organizers for the New York City Dyke March. Like many attendees, Nate feels the main pride parade has been co-opted by capitalism. Between sponsorships and a large police presence, some think the parade has lost the true essence of the pride movement. The Dyke March, on the other hand... So there's no corporate floats, there's no floats at all. There aren't the barricades in that way. Nate got involved with the march through an ex. We both grew up in Staten Island. Staten Island is not the best place to be queer. Nate was struggling. They didn't feel like they had a community and there were family conflicts. So when their girlfriend at the time said, let's check out the march, Nate was on board. Right, we need to go. And it was a fantastic experience. So being able to be surrounded by all dykes uh, at once was was empowering and overwhelming. And just being able to feel the energy is very unique. It is the most joyful, celebratory, and like one of the more powerful experiences that one can have. There is not another time ever that there will be 30,000 dykes taking over New York City streets. It, it doesn't happen. Eventually, Nate went on to become an event marshal, then an organizer. So it feels really wonderful that it's a combination of being celebratory and who we are and our identities, and then it's, it's a protest march. So it's also about showcasing visibility and just showcasing the continuous fight for the rights and resources that we need. Part of the mission of the Dyke March is sticking to the original purpose of the Pride Movement. While the march is a celebration, it's first and foremost a protest, not a parade. (laughs) 
The first New York City Dyke March was in 1993. We thought it was a perfect opportunity to put forth such an audacious message, like lust for power, right? We rolled the bed. We rolled the bed down Fifth Avenue. Yeah. A massive bed pushed down Fifth Avenue. Like lesbians writhing on it. It couldn't be any more in your face. Valerie Walker is a native New Yorker. She's also a founding organizer of New York City's Dyke March. At that time, Valerie was part of a New York-based group called the Lesbian Avengers. They organized DC's first Dyke March. After college, I joined the Lesbian Avengers as a young, newly out dyke. You know how they say in college, some of the people you meet in college will be at your wedding. Well, it was that kind of quality in the Avengers. The Lesbian Avengers built community and fought for change. They wanted lesbian visibility, something that was often missing from both gay rights and women rights movements. And I felt very proud to be part of a group that was really about, yes, it was about meeting other women and having sex. And yes, maybe some of that sex imploded or uh, sped up the demise of the group. Yes, but the time that we was active, though, during the time we was active, it was really, you know, great. And we, we and we made people think. Washington, D.C. held the first Dyke March in April of 93. Two months later, the march came to Manhattan. It was, you know, kind of like anything D.C. can do, we can do better, you know? And like, why do we have to go to D.C.? We got enough dykes here. We want to do it New York style. That first march brought a new sense of liberation. It's one thing to be on the street as an individual and be out. It's another thing to be standing with other, other individuals under a banner and saying that you're out, you know? And that, that was, it brought its own fears or whatever, but it also was pretty fantabulous. Like, it was just like a pride on a different level. Excitement, but also fear. I'm not going to lie. It was scary, right? I'm not going to lie. Because, again, in particular in the African-American experience, you know, even though you may be in a larger group of white people, that just means you're easier to identify and pick off. It does not necessarily guarantee your safety. Despite the anxiety, Valerie knew she was surrounded by people who had her back. There were a whole lot of feelings, but there was also a very dynamic feeling of pride. You know, like even though I was scared, it was like, I know these women have my back. You know what I mean? Like I know these people and I know that we are in this moment, ride or die. And so we will hold each other. Like, I have but to yell, and there'll be several people standing right with me, ready to take whatever I'm supposed to take, too. In the early 90s, New York City teachers designed a curriculum called Children of the Rainbow. It was their response to rising hate crimes. The program mainly taught first graders about racial and ethnic differences, but it included a brief section on LGBT families. And much like the school culture wars today, there was pushback. The Lesbian Avengers got involved. One of the actions that we did was to hand out balloons at a school about lesbian visibility. And people are handing out these balloons. And at first, you know, it's receptive. The kid's like, yeah. And then the parent reads what it, read what it said. And then like, let it go. 
or don't take that. And so it was very, we were very in your face in a way, but grounded in a sense of um, we're not tripping. We know who we are. You're just, I'm assuming through lack of knowledge, you're just nervous, scared, whatever, but here we are. Get to know us. Even in a progressive city like New York, Valerie faced bigotry. I had a personal experience where my then lover and I were um, kicked out of a diner because we kissed on the lips. And I was shocked. I was like, are you serious? This is like Brooklyn Heights. Like, what are you doing? Like, are you crazy? And then they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so we're going to leave. They're like, no, you're going to pay your bill. And I was like, oh, (laughs) what? I'm going to pay my bill to get kicked out. You're silly. By this point in the story, it should come as no surprise, Valerie fought back. So a mad lesbian, like I was, I called some people and we had a picket there within hours. We had a plan and an agenda. We got couples of all iterations, boy, girl, 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 any any gender at the time. And uh, we all went in. We went into the, they went in because they knew our face, so I couldn't go in. I picketed. Uh, people went into the diner and at the appointed time when the signal was given, they all stood up and said, you must remember this. A kiss is just a kiss and all began making out. We had uh, people handing out Hershey's kisses and like a little blurb about what had happened, how this isn't right. Being an out lesbian in the 90s wasn't easy. You needed thick skin. Not just being a lesbian, but embracing the word dyke. And, and saying it in a word, in a way that's empowering. We were feeling ourselves, you know what I mean? Walking in groups, we felt like we brought our own safety. And you just needed to know that, you know what I mean? Like that was the energy. Like if somebody called you out, you like, that's right, baby, die as much as I can, you know? And so when somebody even tries to, you know, bring you down by using a term like that, but you hit them back, with super duper positivity, it tends to stop them from saying their next thing. New York City lesbians relied on their own community for protection against hate. There was the hotline. I definitely know that there were groups of people, lesbians included, who organized bar walks to subways and things like that when when bashing was high. So we, as a community, decided we keep ourselves safe. And so how we do that is we show up for each other, we stand and witness, Hey, you okay? You need support from across the street? Like, you know what I mean? Like any way that we could be of service, even if we, if you didn't identify as gay or lesbian, if I saw a woman who was in a situation with somebody, a partner of any sort being, uh, you know, and their behavior and posture looked like it was not a lovely day, um, I would might say or engage the other person safely from a distance, but just like, um, are you okay? Is something going on? Somebody need assistance or whatever, just to give enough time for the woman to write herself or get to, you know, some other situation going or just to change the energy. And that community type protection carried over to the march. Organizers did not want police involved, not then and not today. Police are not invited. They show up, of course, but organizers do not request a permit from the city. They're dedicated to exercising their First Amendment right to protest. We negotiate every every year to, to get that space. And so it looks different. Um, so sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder. There's tactics that we don't have to go into, but it's 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 always it's always a struggle, right? So even 
even though we've been around for 30 years now, it still is very much in the spirit of protesting because of that that act of having to stop traffic, having to actually like flood the streets and be able to make sure everyone is safe. We don't we don't like speak to the police before or organize or anything like that again because we're not getting permits. Um, but they show up anyway and they have barricades. So it's always understanding what the space is like, what we need to do to keep folks safe, what barriers do we need to remove and be able to move so many dikes from Bryant Park out onto the street, into the street to be safe because we're always safer in numbers. It's been like that since the start. So from the very beginning, we had uh, police negotiators. So they were the only people from representative of the Dyke March who would negotiate and speak with the police. And I think from initially the like initial exchanges, it was clear. We are not here to be law abiding. Like from even the tone was contentious, like from jump. You gonna do what you you gonna do what you have to do. We know our rights, and we will. You know what I mean? Like it was really you either gonna let this happen or you not gonna let this happen. Whatever you need to do. In place of law enforcement, volunteer marshals direct traffic and keep people safe. We always train on on like working with police and being able to keep the community safe from the police. We train our marshals on de-escalation tactics and we train them on on what to look for, including the religious-based protesters that are often there. Having marshals from the community helps protesters feel at ease. And so it's really a bit of a balm to your to your nervous system to be feel like you're protected in this line of of people, of marshals, these dykes. And then to see that the police are around them so they can't touch you. Like you're safe. They can do their job and you can still live your life. And for some people, it's their first time interacting with the police in a way that is not threatening. Oh, the Westboro Baptist Church is really just gone now. They're, I haven't seen one person. They haven't been here for years, though, honestly. And it's just a different world. And why do they have to? Lawmakers are doing like, That's true. Why travel if you've got a lawmaker yeah. to do that? You got all these anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ yeah. bills. You don't have to the Dyke March has become more inclusive through the years, but issues remain. Marshals are on the lookout for discrimination from counter-protesters and attendees. What happens if there's any sort of transphobia or racism? We do sometimes get transphobic folks in the march itself who say that certain marchers, you know, asking like why why they're here or should they be here or misgendering folks. And so we actively like de-escalate that. <laughs> Historically, the term dyke was often used as a slur, but it's now embraced by many in the community. There's a space and a need to continue to like loudly exclaim that that we're dykes. And there's pushback on the word dyke. There's pushback on creating a space that isn't centering around cis men. One massive criticism pride parades often get is that cis gay men are centered. Another point of contention, the amount of cis straight people that go to the parade. On one hand, that's great in terms of increased support for LGBTQ people, but for Nate and many others, they say it makes the parade feel like a block party rather than an event celebrating queer people. It then creates a feeling that we're like being gawked at almost, or like that we're entertainment for for straight allies and straight audiences. And that's really different from those first few Pride celebrations. Quick history. On June 28, 1969, Stonewall Inn was violently raided by police. By most accounts, Stormy DeLavari, a black stud, started the uprising. For six days, queer New Yorkers protested, 
The demonstrations were led by Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, two black and Latino trans women. The first Pride March commemorated the anniversary, and those early Pride parades were called Christopher Street Liberation Day. And while the uprising began by a gender non-conforming woman of color into trans women of color, somehow, through the years of Pride celebrations, those marginalized identities within the community went from being the focal point to barely being acknowledged. And that was felt, especially by queer people who weren't white gay men. Valerie didn't feel accurately represented at the Pride Parade. It was like watching something that I didn't identify with. Like, it wasn't like I was seeing myself reflected back. So it was like this, just watching this uh, very different thing. Whereas the Dyke March. The Dykes look like every combination, suits, invisible clothes, saran wrap, you know, all, long hair, no hair, hair out their ears. It was there was still ways in which I could see myself in, in almost every single one of them that I could not see myself in, in the parade, in the, on the Sunday parade. For clarity, the Dyke March is always on Saturday of Pride Weekend and the Pride Parade is on the Sunday. So when this space was created and opened up, it was awesome because then I could do both because I definitely think that there's value in the Sunday parade. It's much more of a spectacle. It's much more of a, I don't, don't want to say it's more celebratory because I think the Dyke March is pretty jubilant, but I like, but there is an aspect of it that is a little more spectacular and grand than we even try to be at all. Nate believes allies have a place at the Dyke March on the sidelines. There's that church along that hands out water. There's a real space for allies and we absolutely always need allies to show up, but allies should not be taking up this, this Dyke March space. Every year, the Dyke March organizing committee picks a theme. Valerie came up with the 2021 theme, Black Dyke Power. It was really important to me because Black Dykes have been part of the march since the inception, have organized the march, have always been there, but there's never been a banner that celebrated Black Dykes. Like Marlene Colborn, one of the founders of the Dyke March. I think of Marlene, I think of other people who were instrumental to me, who grew me up into who I am, who never got acknowledged, but have always been here working. And after the racial justice protests that started in 2020, the theme was powerful. It was meaningful for a lot of people, a lot of people who didn't even march that year because they're older, who contacted me and they were just like, that was nice. Like, that was nice to see. And so I felt like we did a mitzvah. It was really good. Paid a debt. And on the 30th anniversary, the theme for 2022, Dykes for Trans Liberation. So every year, a, a different group of dykes comes together to organize the march. Because of that, folks just haven't been as trans inclusive. And that hasn't been like an official policy of the dyke march, but it has certainly been, been felt by trans dykes attending, folks on the committee throughout the year. So now there's a very explicit stance against any sort of transphobia and an explicit stance towards trans inclusivity. It almost feels as if every day there's a new bill, school, or institution that has issued a new guideline taking away the rights of trans folks. 
So far in 2022, hundreds of anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced or carried over from last year. And according to an analysis by Vice News, over 150 of them restrict the rights of transgender and non-binary people. So far, nine states passed bills targeting trans and non-binary young people, and anti-trans crime continues to rise. It still needs to be a protest. It's not a parade, even though it's joyful, even though it's celebratory because we have dykes and all their identities you know, dancing down the street topless in a fountain like it's it's wonderful, but at its core is still a protest. The theme is incorporated into the march from the T-shirt design to the nonprofit the Dyke March later donates to. Big events like this typically have sponsors, but not this march. Nate says the Dyke March stays away from that because sponsorship often feels like lip service. So you have these corporations who change their logos to rainbows, spend a bunch of money on a corporate pride float, and then they're, you know, they're not trans inclusive in their hiring practices, right? People are being misgendered. Their health insurance isn't actually covering like actual queer health needs. Um, their cultures just aren't queer inclusive. They say many of these companies have harmed the LGBTQ community and the Dyke March refuses to be exploited by them. Corporations don't have any place in our grassroots organization. This, this is a march of the people for the people by the people, right? Chase Bank ain't got nothing to do with this. JP Morgan don't have nothing to do with this. Although there's some people in the march that work at JP Morgan. There's some people in the march, they're, you know, high executives up at Chase. But that's not who you are. Right now, you a ragtag dyke risking arrest. What? Why? Because you can, because it's safe to do, because the world should see you and know your value. The world shouldn't box you in about how you look, dress, behave, or even who you All right, so Jasmine and them are a block away. Up here? Yeah, whether meeting friends or making new ones. Ah, hi. Hey. The Dyke March produces that sense of community that so many people long for, especially in a city that, while crowded, can also feel isolating. People also come to reconnect. So people come explicitly for the march. So they've moved out of the city or they're international. So there's this sense of being able to like see folks who might have moved away, but also every year I see Every dyke I've ever met, like every dyke I've ever dated, like every dyke truly in, in the community. I guess I guess it's a reunion in the sense where reunions can also be really fun and also a little like, did I did I want to see you? Did I not want to see you? Is this, is this, are we going to have drama or is it going to be great? If you was a randy lesbian like me back in the day, you're going to see like eight, nine exes. And you got to be okay with that. You cannot have the runs every time you see what. So it's like a healing thing. You know what I mean? Especially when you, when you marshalling. So you static, like you have to stand here and now you see, oh, 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 you know, with your ex coming up, it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta deal with it. Hey, how you doing, baby? Happy Dyke Day. And like, keep it moving. And it's lovely and it's a healing thing. So I've seen people get back together. I've seen people, of course, break up, but I've seen more love than I've seen anything. I've seen people who would never take off their top, take off their top so inspired, so gigged on the just amazing, like chi that we're able to get out of each other. It's really, it's, it's really dope. Also dope, passerbys who see the representation, stop what they're doing and jump in. When there are people on the street that are just like, you know what? Yeah, me too. 
and just get in. Like they were coming back from lunch or doing some other real life situation. And they just decided there's no time like the present. And they just get in. It's just such a beautiful spirited thing that I think that's why it's protected. That's why it hasn't been a problem with the police. That's why there's never been any real counterproductive measure that's really impacted the march. It is like, if you are unsure, if you have not come out, it is probably the best space to be in because it's so joyful, because there are so many people there, you can get a feel for what community means and what, if you are exploring an identity, what that identity might mean for you and who your people could be. From the library at Bryant Park to the Washington Square Park Fountain, the Dyke March is a physical but also emotional journey. While the world doesn't value the voices of women, femmes, non-binary folks, and trans people, the Dyke March does. And it's not just the lack of corporate funding or police that make it special. It's the celebration of these voices that are so often silenced. If nobody advertised nothing, if nobody advertised nothing, I promise you this time next year in June, the Saturday before the Sunday March, there'd be a whole lot of like lost looking dykes meeting by the library. So Andy is here now. Hi, Andy. Hey, hey. (laughs) So I think Valerie is right. I can imagine a bunch of people at the library standing around the Saturday of Pride weekend like, wait, are we marching? (laughs) But Valerie is seriously my new favorite person. I am obsessed. I love her. Valerie is the sass and soul. She's my kind of people, let me tell you. (laughs) But my favorite part of the whole thing is when she refers to herself in the past as being a randy lesbian (laughs) i love that like i would like to like from here on out i'm just gonna refer to myself as a randy lesbian you're gonna be like fami what are we working on today randiness that's it (laughs) randiness uh apparently valerie was also in a lesbian film called the watermelon woman i say apparently because hopefully this will not make me lose my black lesbian card but apparently the watermelon woman is like a cult classic a lesbian cult classic that i've never seen so i will be watching it this weekend <laughs> i hate to even tell you this but even i've seen the watermelon woman <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i was big into queer films in high school especially ones from the 90s and i watched all of them and the main character even works in a video store do you remember those i do as a matter of fact i still have some old janky sex in the city dvds that i rented from the blockbuster in harlem on 125th street <laughs> that like i don't know hopefully i pay i don't know did i pay for them did i steal did i steal dvds did i cause blockbuster to close down what happened that was netflix not you (laughs) (laughs) that's true so yes i do remember those but announcement now that pride month is over y'all we need a break andy and i have been grinding out and we are tired so from here on out it's okay to say gay is going to be a monthly ish podcast i say ish because if something crazy pops off at the end of the day we are so journalists so you better believe we're going to be back on air talking about it but we have a lot of other great stories in the works so make sure you subscribe rate review jump on the internets and show us some love <laughs> the internets the, the interwebs internets. <laughs> on beyonce's internet beyonce's please internet. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for listening to It's Okay to Say Gay. Special thanks to producer Dempsey Pilat, producer Jill Webb, who wrote and produced this episode, Cooper Mole, who provided editorial support, and of course, Andy Egan Thorpe, who is the co-host and audio engineer. Tim Shout is the WCBS News Radio 880 brand manager. Ben Meverack is the 1010 Wins brand manager. And I'm Femi Redwood. Thanks for listening. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.